bringing you the latest in tax credit news, this is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratik. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, September 17th, 2019. Ten years ago this week, the IRS released details of changes to the safe harbor for the allocation of wind energy production tax credits among partners in a partnership. Now, Announcement 2009-69 made three changes. First, it expanded the rights of developers and owners to enter into agreements to purchase the wind energy property owned by the partnership. It also clarified how the past activity rules of Section 469 apply to credits generated by wind energy properties. And thirdly, it made clear that the revenue procedure only provided safe harbor requirements. Now, to learn more about current issues facing renewable energy partnerships, I invite you to register for the Novogratik 2019 Financing Renewable Energy Tax Credits Fall Conference. It's being held in Washington, D.C. on November 7th and 8th. A registration link is in today's show notes. Turning now to this week's podcast, as is typical for a September podcast, we have much to talk about. We will start with an update on congressional efforts to fund the federal government by the September 30 deadline. That's in order to avoid a government shutdown. We're then going to share some insights on Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac housing finance reform plans, as well as information on the recently released changes to the multifamily loan purchase caps for Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. And then on the new legislation front, there are three bills to discuss. A bill to encourage property sales to public housing agencies, a bill to incentivize building more housing near transit, as well as a bill to extend and expand the new energy-efficient home credit. And then after that, I do have some brief news on the final regulations on the first-year 100% depreciation deductions, or 100% expensing, under Section 168K, which was enacted as part of the 2017 Tax Act. I also have information on updated certification requirements for CDFI program and Native American CDFI assistance applicants. I'll then have some state news from California in three areas. First, Opportunity Zone state conformity legislation. Second, a rent control bill that passed and is expected to be signed by the governor, as well as a survey on state long-term tax applications involving $500 million in California state long-term tax credits next year. Now, if you're ready, let's get started. I want to start off with a quick update on congressional efforts to avoid a government shutdown at the end of this month, at the end of September. The House is expected to vote on a continuing resolution this week, the continued resolution would keep the government open through November 21st. The top priority of Congress since it returned from the August recess is to keep the government funded past September 30th, and that is two weeks from yesterday. As the clock ticks down before a potential shutdown, it is becoming more likely that we'll see another stopgap funding measure as opposed to individual fiscal year 2020 appropriation bills. Now, the House did pass 10 of 12 appropriations bills for 2020 before the August recess. However, as I've noted in prior podcasts, those bills were written before the Bipartisan Budget Act set the overall budget. Now, the full Senate has not passed any appropriations legislation yet, but the Senate Appropriations Committee approved the 2020 defense bill as well as energy and water appropriations bills last week. Now, more markups are scheduled this week and next. For example, 
Jennifer Schutt of Roll Call reports that the Senate Appropriations Committee's Subcommittee on Transportation and HUD is scheduled to consider its fiscal year 2020 bill today, before the full committee holds a T-HUD markup on Thursday. Now, on a side note, do check out the Notes Novogratz blog for analysis of the HUD bill. The 2020 bill that would fund Treasury is also scheduled to be considered today. I'll also note that last week, the Senate Appropriations Committee did approve the 2020 funding allocations to each subcommittee. The T-HUD subcommittee received $1.5 billion less than the House T-HUD subcommittee had received. Now, I'll keep you updated on any progress in future podcasts. Now, I discussed on last week's podcast that Treasury and HUD had released housing finance reform plans, and those plans included ending conservatorship of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Well, the Senate Banking Committee last Tuesday held a hearing on those plans. Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin, HUD Secretary Ben Carson, and Federal Housing Finance Agency Director Mark Calabria testified at the hearing. Senate Banking Committee Chairman Mike Crapo of Idaho said many recommendations within the Treasury and HUD plans are consistent with the principles that he released in his own housing reform outline earlier this year. Now, areas of agreement between Crapo's plan and the Treasury and HUD proposals include attracting private capital back to the market, setting up taxpayer protections against future bailouts, and increasing competition. Now, Chairman Crapo asked about next steps for the housing finance reform plans. To that end, Secretary Mnuchin said that Treasury expects to make an agreement with FHFA soon to allow Fannie and Freddie to begin retaining their earnings by modifying or ending the net worth sweep agreements. Now, under those net worth sweep agreements, Fannie and Freddie transfer net profits to the federal government quarterly. Now, a move that would end this profit transfer would allow Fannie and Freddie to rebuild their capital and improve their safety and soundness as they prepare to return to private shareholder ownership. Now, in terms of how to achieve housing finance reform, the witnesses agreed on pursuing changes legislatively and administratively. Secretary Mnuchin said that working with Congress to find bipartisan solutions is a priority. But he said Treasury, HUD, and FHFA would also work on regulatory reform administratively as well. Now, you can read more about the Treasury and HUD housing finance reform plans on the Novogratz website. I'll include links in today's show notes and tweet them out as well. I also want to alert you, there will be an article by Buzz Roberts on the plans, these housing reform plans, in the October issue of the Novogratz Journal of Tax Credits. If you don't know, Buzz is the president and CEO of the National Association of Affordable Housing Lenders. And while we're on the topic of Fannie and Freddie, the Federal Housing Finance Agency last week announced multifamily loan purchase caps of $100 billion each for Fannie and Freddie. Now, these caps apply for the fourth quarter of 2019 to the fourth quarter of 2020, basically making it an $80 billion a year cap. Now, previously, the cap structure limited Fannie and Freddie's multifamily loan purchases to just $35 billion each year. Now, the cap previously, though, excluded loans for affordable housing and energy or water efficiency projects from the caps, so-called green loans. Now, as I said, we will see a jump in multifamily loan purchase cap from $35 billion a year to $80 billion a year, $100 billion over five quarters. Now, FHFA said that the purpose of the cap is to support liquidity in the multifamily market, especially in affordable housing. Now, since the 
affordable housing loans now will be part of the overall cap as opposed to be excluded, FHFA had to set or direct a minimum amount that Fannie and Freddie need to use that cap towards mission-driven affordable housing. And to that end, FHFA directed that 37.5% of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac's multifamily business must be focused on mission-driven affordable housing. So over the next five quarters, that means of the $100 billion available, $37.5 billion would need to be, or more, focused on mission-driven affordable housing. Most lenders think the net result of this is the green loans that were excluded from the $35 billion annual cap. You'll see less of those. You won't see less mission-driven affordable housing loans. I should also note these new caps apply to all multifamily business. There are not any exclusions. Now let's also talk about bills that are in Congress, both affordable housing and renewable energy related. Now on the affordable housing topic, a bill was introduced this month to allow for the non-recognition of gain on real property that was sold for use as affordable housing. Essentially, this bill allows you to avoid gain recognition as an incentive to increase the stock of affordable housing options by incenting owners to sell their property to public housing agencies. Specifically under the bill, owners who sell to housing agencies get the option to avoid capital gains tax liability by purchasing a replacement property within three years. Now, supporters of the bill said the proposal would allow public housing authorities to be more competitive when buying land for dedicated affordable housing developments. Now, the bill is entitled the Affordable Housing Incentives Act of 2019, or H.R. 4239. The lead sponsor is Democratic Representative Adam Schiff of California. A link to the bill's text is in today's show notes, and I'll tweet it out as well. I'll also tweet out the next two bills I'm going to talk about. The second bill, also housing-related, Democratic Representative Scott Peters of California introduced a bipartisan bill, the Build More Housing Near Transit Act. This legislation would change the rating criteria for the Federal Transit Administration's New Starts program. Specifically, the bill would require housing feasibility assessments to determine how and where housing units could be built near transit stops. The bill would also prioritize local commitment to change land use policies to accommodate market rate and affordable housing. Now, the Build More Housing Near Transit Act aims to facilitate the construction of more housing It aims to increase transit ridership, as well as maximize the return on federal investments. And the third bill on energy was a bill introduced Thursday to extend and expand the Section 45L tax credit. That's the new energy efficient home credit, as well as to create a new tax credit worth up to 3.3% of the total construction costs for residential rental properties that reduce energy use by 40% or more. That's a mouthful, but it's basically a new energy-efficient tax credit or an existing property tax credit. Now, the bill would also extend the Section 179D Commercial Property Energy Efficiency Deduction through the year 2020. And as you probably know, Section 179D can be used for multifamily housing. Now, the bill includes provisions not to reduce low-income housing tax credit basis by the amount of the Section 45L credit, by the Section 179D deduction, and the Renewable Energy Investment Tax Credit. The Affordable Housing Credit Improvement Act, you may recall, does include an identical provision not to reduce basis by the amount of the energy incentives. Now, the bill's sponsors are two Democrats. Representative James 
Langevin of Rhode Island, and Peter Welch of Vermont. Bill is called the Building Efficiently Act of 2019, and it's H.R. 4317. You can find a bill in today's show notes, and as I noted earlier, I'll tweet out the links to all three bills. Now, turning to other news, the Treasury Department will be publishing the Federal Register soon final regulations on the additional first-year depreciation deduction, the 100% expensing, if you will, that's allowed under Internal Revenue Code Section 168K. Now, the final regulations clarify, and this is a big item in the affordable housing community and other areas, that when you go to expense property, if there's any tax abuse property, then the tax of entity's proportionate share of the property is the portion not eligible for the additional first-year depreciation deduction. There was concern that any if you had any taxes and abuse share of property, that the entire property might not be eligible for 100% expensing or 100% depreciation deduction. It's great to see the IRS take this position. Now, I will share a copy of the final regulations in today's show notes. Now, turning to renewable energy news, last week, the IRS asked for comments on Notice 2010-54. So what is Notice 2010-54? Well, that notice provides guidance regarding claiming the production tax credit or the PTC, for refined coal. Furthermore, the notice also modified the definition of refined coal and allowed certain processing of utility-grade coal to be taken into account for determining emissions reductions. I'll provide a link to that notice in today's show notes and tweet it out. Now, turning to CDFI Fund Community Development News, last week, the fund announced an update to the certification requirements for applicants for both the CDFI program or the Native American CDFI Assistance Program. Now, beginning with the fiscal year 2020 application round, applicants for the CDFI program and the Native American CDFI Assistance Program must be certified CDFIs by the date the Notice of Funds Availability is published in the Federal Register. So the key here is that the CDFI fund is no longer going to process CDFI certification applications at the same time as they're processing funding applications. So what does this mean? Well, if you plan to apply for program funding, you should plan ahead and submit your, certific- your certification applications as soon as possible. Now, the CDFI fund tentatively plans to publish the fiscal year 2020 NOFA for the CDFI and Native American program in early 2020. That being said, I'd encourage you to go ahead and apply for CDFI status now. Apply this year. And if you need assistance with your application, I'd encourage you to reach out to Bob Ibanez in our Jacksonville, Florida office. So now let's turn to state-level news, news in the largest state in the union. The California state legislature last week adjourned for the year, and they did not consider Opportunity Zone state-conforming legislation. Now, the deadline to introduce legislation for consideration in the 2019 legislature was September 10th. So that means the next chance for the California State Legislature to address Opportunity Zone conformity will be when it reconvenes in January 2020. In other news in California, lawmakers last week approved legislation to create statewide rent control. HB 1482 would limit annual rent increases to the lower of 10% or 5% plus the cost of living. Furthermore, the bill would help protect tenants against unjust evictions. Now, the bill attempts to provide this protection by requiring a landlord to have and to state a just cause if they're going to try to terminate 
tenancy for tenants that have occupied the premises, the unit, for 12 months or more. Now, the rent cap and the just cause eviction provisions are subject to exemption. So there are properties that are not subject to these rules. What are they? Well, I'll give you three. There are other exemptions, but I'll give you three. Any housing built in the past 15 years is exempt. Also, if housing that's restricted by a deed or regulatory agreement with a government agency, as well as single-family residences, unless they're owned by a real estate trust or a corporation. Now, the bill would effectively exclude low-income housing tax credit and private activity bond properties because they are deed-restricted properties with regulatory agreements with government agencies. And as an aside, low-income housing tax credit and bond finance housing already have rules that limit rents through the way in which rents and income, qualifying income levels get determined under tax guidelines. Now, in terms of the rent cap, uh, as you know, HUD has ceilings that are applied to income limits used for loan housing tax credit and private activity bond finance projects. And HUD does not allow income limits to increase by more than the greater of 5% or twice the change in national median family income. Now, rent limits are generally derived from these HUD-restricted income limits, so they have the same rent cap. And then in terms of just or good cause, Long-term tax credit rules requires a good cause prior to termination of tenancy. Now, whether an eviction from a long-term tax credit property has good cause is determined by applicable state and local law. Now, although long-term tax credit and private activity bonds are exempt from AB 1482, any of these developments with market rate tenants would likely be affected by the bill. In other words, market rate units within a mixed income property will likely be subject to the new statewide rent control and just cause eviction protection. Now, HB 1482 provisions would expire in 2030, and they would not preempt any local rent control or just cause ordinances. Now, HB 1482 now awaits Governor Gavin Newsom's signature. The New York Times reported that Gavin Newsom has said he would sign the bill. Now, a detailed explanation of the legislation will be posted on the Notes from the Rec blog this week. And staying with California news, California housing news, the California Tax Credit Allocation Committee, or TCAC, opened a survey last week. The survey is meant to help TCAC prepare for application submissions with respect to the $500 million in additional state long-term tax credits that will be available in calendar year 2020. As you may know, this, 120, this additional $500 million is for 4% long-term tax credit new construction multifamily housing developments. Now, TCAC may accept applications for the state long-term tax credit as soon as November 2019 for a January 2020 credit reservation. If you're thinking of applying or want to learn more about how to access this $500 million in state tax credits, please reach out to Jim Kroger in our California office or reach out to Thomas Stagg. He's in our Seattle, Washington office, but he does a lot of work in California. Well, that brings it to the end of this week's report. Now, if you're thinking of applying for the 2019 round of the New Market Tax Credit, I'd be sure to register for the Novogratic 2019 New Market Tax Credit Application Webinar. During the webinar, you can get tips, strategies, and insights on how the application is scored. Now, the webinar will be held next Tuesday, September 24th at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. Now, remember, applications are due October 28th. A registration link is in today's show notes, and yes, I will tweet it out as well. That's it for now. I'm Michael Novogratik, 
Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogratik and Company, LLP. Archived podcasts are available online at www.novaco.com forward slash podcast or by subscribing to the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast in iTunes. You can find related links referenced in this podcast in our show notes at www.novaco.com forward slash podcast. Novogratik and Company LLP is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novaco.com.